The Choice of a Boat by A. J. Keneally. Coffee Break Collection 28 Hobbies. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Colleen McMahon. The Choice of a Boat. If any ambitious would be mariner, old or young, hailing from anywhere, were to ask me what sort of a boat I would recommend him to build or buy, I would answer him frankly that an able catboat with a centerboard and stationary ballast would, in my judgment, be best. I would advise him to shun the sandbaggers, not that one cannot enjoy an immense amount of exciting sport in one of them, but because they seem to me to be only fit for racing, and I will tell you why. A man, when he goes on a quiet cruise, doesn't want to be bothered by having to shift heavy bags of sand every time the boat goes about. It is too much like hard work, and by the time your day's fun is finished, you feel stiff in the joints. I have other arguments against the use of shifting ballast, but do not think any other save the one mentioned is necessary. This point disposed of, let us confer. Of what shall the stationary ballast for our able catboat consist? Outside lead is, of course, the best but its first cost is a serious matter. A cast-iron false keel or shoe answers admirably and is moderate in price. Some persons object to it, claiming that it rusts and corrodes, that its fastenings decay the wooden keel to which it is bolted, and that its weight strains a boat and soon causes her to become leaky. There is, of course, some truth in these charges, but if the boat is built by a mechanic and not an impostor, None of these disadvantages will exist, and the cast-iron keel will prove to be both efficient and economical. But if, by straining a point, lead can be afforded, procure it by all means and have it bolted on outside. It neither tarnishes nor corrodes, and as it does not deteriorate, its marketable value is always the same. Racing yachts have, however, been known to sell for less than their lead ballast cost, but such instances are rare. It should be borne in mind that the lower down the lead is placed, the less quantity required, and the greater its efficiency. There are always a number of second-hand catboats in the market for sale at a reasonable rate, and an advertisement will bring plenty of replies. But for a tyro to purchase a boat haphazard is a mistake on general principles. It is like a sailor buying a horse. Yet some honest shipwright or boat builder to examine, say, some half-dozen boats whose dimensions suit you, and whose prices are about what you think you can afford. There are certain portions of a catboat that are subject to violent strains when the craft is underway. The step of the mast and the centerboard trunk are parts that require the vigilant eye of an expert. Human nature is prone to temptation, and paint and putty are used quite often to conceal many important defects in a craft advertised for sale. The keen eye of a mechanic who has served his time to a boat builder will soon detect all deficiencies of this kind will ferret out rotten timbers, and under his advice and counsel, you may succeed in picking up at a bargain some sound, seaworthy, and serviceable craft in which you can enjoy yourself to your heart's content. But if some rotten hole is foisted on you by an unscrupulous person, you will be apt to kick yourself round the block, for she will be always in need of repairs, and in the end, when she is finally condemned, you will find on figuring up the cost that it would have been money in your pocket if you had built a new boat. The principal boat builders of New York, New Jersey, Connecticut, and Massachusetts are men of high character, who take a pride in their work, which is thoroughly first class, and whose prices are strictly moderate. Any one of these will construct a capital boat of good model and fair speed. 
I am an old crank and a bigot in many things appertaining to boats in the sea, but I hope that any reader of this who is going to build a pleasure craft will follow my advice at least in this instance. Let her be copper fastened above and below the water line. Don't use a single galvanized nail or bolt in her construction. See that the fastenings are clenched on a roof, not simply turned down. Don't spoil the ship for a paltry hapworth of tar. Many builders, for the sake of economy, use galvanized iron throughout, and will take a solemn affidavit that it is quite as good as copper. But in the innermost cockles of their hearts, they know they are wrong. Others more conscientious use copper fastenings below the waterline and galvanized iron above. But copper throughout is my cry, and so will I ever maintain while I am on this side of the sticks. Sometimes one may pick up a good serviceable boat at a navy yard sale. Uncle Sam's boats are a fair design and well-built. They are often condemned because they are what is called nail-sick, a defect which can be easily remedied. Occasionally, a steamship's lifeboat can be bought for a trifle, and if it be fitted with a false keel with an iron shoe on it, will prove thoroughly seaworthy and a moderately good sailor. Mr. E.F. Knight, the English barrister and author of The Cruise of the Falcon, tells how he bought a lifeboat condemned by the Peninsular and Oriental Company. She was 30 feet long with a beam of 8 feet, very strong, being built of double skins of teak, and like all the lifeboats used by that company, an excellent seaboat. This craft he timbered and decked, rigged her as a catch, and crossed the North Sea in her, going as far as Copenhagen and back, and encountering plenty of bad weather during the adventurous voyage. Mr. Knight is a believer in the pointed or lifeboat stern for a small vessel. He was called in a northwest gale in the Gulf of Heligoland, in the above-mentioned craft and had to sail 60 miles before a high and dangerous sea. His boat showed no tendency to broach to, but rushed straight ahead across the steep sea in a fashion that gave us confidence and astonished us. Had she the ordinary yacht's stern to present to those following masses of water, instead of a graceful wedge offering little resistance, we should have had a very uncomfortable time of it. Many men dislike a pointed stern and consider it ugly. However that may be, it behaves handsomely, and we should certainly recommend any amateur building a sailboat for coasting purposes to give her the lifeboat stern. Mr. Knight fitted his boat with leeboards, which no doubt served their purpose admirably. I should, however, favor a false keel and an iron shoe as being more efficient and less unsightly. I should not advise the purchaser of a condemned lifeboat to have her fitted with a centerboard. The cost would be high, and unless the job was done in a first-class manner by a man experienced at this sort of work, it would be very unsatisfactory. A nail-sick, clencher-built boat should be hauled up on the beach and filled with water. Every leak should be marked on the outside with chalk or white paint. After all the leaks have been discovered, run the water out of her and dry her thoroughly. Next, examine every nail and try the lands or joinings of the planks with the blade of a very thin knife. Any rivets which have worked loose may be taken out and replaced with nails and roofs of a larger size. Through the chief parts of the bottom, it may be necessary to put an additional nail between every two originally driven. Many of the old nails, which are only a little slack, should be hardened at their clench by a few taps from inside, one hand holding a dolly against the head of the nail on the outside. Melt a pound of pitch in a gallon of boiling North Carolina tar and give her bottom a good coat inside filling the lands or ledges well. The garboard strake fastenings, and also those of the hooded ends, should be carefully caulked. So should the seams. The seams of the planking should also be caulked. There are various methods of making a boat unsinkable. 
Cork is sometimes used, but it takes up too much room and is not so buoyant as air. Copper or zinc cases made to fit under the thwarts and in various odd corners have been fitted in boats, but their cost is high. Amateurs have used powder flasks and cracker cans with their covers soldered on, cigar boxes covered with duck and painted, bladders inflated with air, etc., etc. A boat displacing one ton will take about 40 cubic feet of air to make her unsinkable. End of The Choice of a Boat Recording by Colleen McMahon